G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm your host, Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and have successfully maintained that weight loss now for over a year. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what that journey has been like. I also wanted to give you some information about intermittent fasting, talk to people that are doing it, and bring in some experts in the field, including some leading authors of some great books about the subject. Talk about the highs, the lows, the triumphs, the celebrations, the negatives, the positives, and everything in between. Nothing is a silver bullet, as they say, but intermittent fasting is about the closest thing that you can get to a perfect health plan with a side effect of weight loss. So sit back in the next few weeks and enjoy life on the fasting highway with us. Thank you. G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast, and this is episode 15. So today I'm joined by the amazing Lynn Houston, and Lynn is from remote central Nevada in the United States, where she teaches in a one-classroom school. And Lynn is also a very keen elliptico cycle competitor, and she's training to go into the world championships shortly. And Lynn's intermittent fasting journey She lost 100 pounds over around two years and has maintained that weight loss for some two years also. So it's an incredible tale of transformation and dedication. And here to tell us all about that today is Lynn. Oh, g'day, Lynn, and welcome to the Fasting Highway. And thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. And, um, when I started this podcast, you were one of the first people I thought about and I really have been following your journey for some time and I think you're amazing. But Lynn, what we'd like to do here on the Fasting Highway, if we could just start with a bit of your backstory and sort of what led you up to finding out about intermittent fasting. Sure. So most, the vast majority of my life I spent um, obese and an obese child. I was an obese teenager, except for maybe like a few years in high school when I managed to stay in maybe the overweight category by doing quite a bit of running and jogging and like really being very active. Um, and then, you know, college happened and the freshman 15 and the, and the sophomore 20, and then I had babies and things like that. And so pretty much spent most of my lifetime being obese um, or if I wasn't obese, I was sort of chasing the, the, um, you know, like, can I lose a bunch of weight and then regain a bunch of weight and probably more than I lost. And, um, anyway, so I work with, I, I, I'm a teacher, school teacher. I work in a one room school. So I'm the only teacher in my one room school, but I have two assistants one of which is so teaching aids, one of which is also my custodian and one of which is also my bus driver. And the lady who is also my custodian said she, she's very fit and young and she's got kids. And, but she also kind of had to pretty consistently work pretty hard to maintain um, a, a good weight. And she did a good job of that. And she mentioned to me one day, and uh, I think it was in November of 2016, she said, 
hey, I was reading about this thing and it's, it's a way to control and lose weight. And it's called intermittent fasting. And I'm like, fasting, fasting. That sounds like, like starving yourself, right? She's like, now just like sort of wait a minute. Let me explain. So she explained to me what it was. And I said, okay, let's give it a, let's give it a shot. And I thought, you know, we've done things together before. And I thought, ah, we'll do this for a couple of weeks and then we'll be tired of it and, and think this isn't our thing. And maybe a month and, and then we'll quit. And just like all the other things we've tried. So a month goes by and I mean, I'm dropping weight like mad and she's dropping weight and she didn't have much to lose. I had like about a hundred pounds to lose, but she didn't have much to lose. So, at, and, and so we just sort of keep going with this and, and we hadn't heard of delay, don't deny or Jen Stevens until quite a number of months later. And we didn't know a lot about it. We just knew, you know, like sort of like time restricted eating. And so by the time I'd heard of delay, don't deny, I'd probably already lost 40, 50 pounds through inter intermittent fasting. And, uh, and then, and then I heard of Jen and I read the book and I was really motivated to do the clean fast. And, and then I ended up uh, losing a hundred pounds. Wow. That's yeah. That's amazing. So do you mind sharing with us, Lynn, what sort of weight were you at the start of IF and sort of what weight are you now? So um, when I started, I mean, the highest weight I had recorded that spring was 247 pounds. And I, um, I'm sure during the summer of 2016, before I started intermittent fasting, I'm absolutely positive I was over 250. Um, and I'm in the 255 to two or one, excuse me, 155 to 160 range right now. COVID has sort of given me 10 extra pounds that I would really like to not have, um, with being at home and, and, and little being a little bit restricted in terms of exercise and things. Um, but yeah, I'm maintaining at 90 pounds down from where I was. Wow. That is quite amazing, Lynn. So Lynn, what was your actual fasting protocol when you started intermittent fasting? How did you choose that? And were you clean fasting right from the start? Initially, I was pretty much doing 20 hours of fasting and a four hour window. And, but I was pretty much settled on that during that four hour window, I would have one meal. So, I mean, you know, I would have other things like a snack or dessert or a drink or things like that during that four hour window, but pretty much 24 um, and I always try to pause between the 20 and the four because a friend of mine that I told about intermittent fasting thought I was saying 24. And um, so I don't, I don't really know, like, I guess maybe we, I sort of chose that thinking I, that it was fairly easy for me to go pretty much all day, come home from work, have a decent window with enough time to snack, eat dessert, that kind of thing, have a drink and go and then go to sleep happy and with a full tummy. And I don't know if I consciously chose that or if that was just sort of how it worked out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the first year I pretty much did 24 
And then this, and I lost 88 pounds the first year. Wow. The second year, I just, in order to lose that last 12 pounds, which I haven't really been able to sort of keep off with for various reasons. Um, and I've sort of kind of given into the idea that maybe my, my maintenance weight is, is 10 pounds above where my lowest weight was. But at any rate, um, that second year I went to pretty much a one hour window to get there. Yep. So with the 20 and four, and just for those listening um, that may not know what Lynn's referring to is there that she was doing a 20 hour fast and eating in a four hour eating window. So what about, were you eating all the things Lynn or did you restrict anything in that window? Pretty much, you know, the first year, the, the vast majority of the weight that I lost, you know, like what I wanted and, and, you know, people always say, well, what I wanted sort of changed throughout that year. And to some extent, I would say that there had, there was some changes in terms of the kinds of things that I wanted to eat. Um, um, I'm still, I'm still like, I know, uh, Graham, you're, you've talked about having like sort of a sugar addiction and I haven't beat that yet. Like if it's to be beaten for me, it's not beaten yet. Like I still really love carbs and sugar and things. And, and so to this day, I mean, you know, I guess for the, that second year, I worked really hard to try and really restrict that. And I was able to, for the short term, but I think maybe for the long term, that's not my groove. You know, I, that I'm going to be happy with some carbs and, you know, happy yeah. with the sweet stuff and things. So I guess the um, the sugar and that sort of thing, I mean, that's a work in progress. And, you know, then I always say to people, there's a huge difference between addiction and moderation. And I think if you can go from that chronic addiction, like what I had, and then sort of get to that sort of happy medium of moderation, it's a great thing, Lynn. But what about things like appetite correction? Did that take long to come for you? really I feel like no it didn't um when I was successful with keeping weight maybe in the just like overweight category as opposed to the obese category so like I'm talking high school years with a lot of exercise and and the way that that sort of came to be was that I was eating one meal a day so <laughs> I just didn't know what to call it. You know, I, I, in fact, in a lot of ways, I remember thinking this can't be very healthy for me, but it's working. And so I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and so I sort of fell um, victim to the idea that I shouldn't eat the way that was, was pretty successful for me um, in high school. So um, I don't know, it's kind of gratifying to know that later I found out that Exactly what I was doing is is exactly what intuitively I should have been doing. So when you were in high school, how did you work that out? You were basically doing intermittent fasting way back then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Was that some plan that you found out about or was that something you just decided you wanted to do for yourself? No, uh, it, it wasn't a plan I found out about. It was just... Um, it was natural to me to not eat breakfast and not have lunch go to, I was on the cross country team in high school. Cross country is like 
So running, you know, the, the race is a couple of miles, um, but practice would have been five or six or eight miles every night. So it was just natural to me to not eat breakfast, not eat lunch, go to practice for the team and run five, six, eight miles, go home, eat dinner, wake up the next morning and do it again. And it was just natural. That was just what I did. Yeah. Well, I think that's really amazing too, because I know I have two daughters and when they were teenagers, I used to think to myself, how can they stay in such great shape yet they eat a lot? And then it dawned on me now, I've been doing intermittent fasting. They were probably doing something like a 16 and eight because teenagers, as they do, they used to sleep until one o'clock, two o'clock on the weekends. And they were probably skipping breakfast and not eating later in the day. And I think that was a natural progression. But Lynn, the other thing there, OMAD, one meal a day we talk about, what's that look like for you? Are you the type of person that looks at it like a restaurant meal, like an entree, uh, then a main meal and a dessert, or is it just sort of one main meal for you? Um, it's different during the week when I'm working and on the weekends. So during the week, I, it might be, it's very common for me to have some kind of sandwich or something like that. And then a dessert glass of wine that would be during the week, the weekend looks, and, and remember I'm in maintenance or I consider yep. myself to be in maintenance anyway. So I'm not actively trying to lose any more weight if, and I figure if, if the, the 10 pounds that, that COVID gave me or winter gave me or whatever, and, and very carefully monitoring, you know, to make sure that doesn't slide in, into being 15 or 20. Um, but the weekends look like, you know, I live 65 miles from a town. So once, once a week and uh, my husband and I will go to go to town and have uh, a restaurant meal. And the rest of the time we're eating at home. And so... Yeah, that restaurant meal might be almost always, almost exclusively would be at a Mexican restaurant. So we'll have chips and maybe a margarita and we'll have the main entree. And then, I mean, that's a big, that's a big meal. Like it's a big restaurant meal. And, and then the rest of the weekend would be where we have, you know, I'm cooking at home. We have the main entree. And then uh, probably a dessert of some kind and maybe a glass of wine. Yep. So just tell us a bit about your role as a teacher. You mentioned you're in a one-room school. Uh, I find that amazing. So it's quite remote where you live. Can you just tell us a bit about your school and, and the kids and that you teach? Sure. Um, so I've been teaching in my little remote area of Nevada, USA, uh, since 1991, so 30, 30 years, right? And um, typically, I mean, you know, 15 or 20 kids, you know, it's the kind of the, the thing of you've got a couple of kindergartners, you've got a couple of first graders, you got a couple of kids in almost every grade, except, well, maybe you don't have any fourth graders this year. And um, it's the greatest job, like, I now have kids of, of students I had 30 years ago, and, and, and that's a lot of fun. It, it means, means a lot to me that they think enough of me 
their education that they want their kids to have the same from me. Wow. So you're now teaching their kids. Yeah. That's amazing. And so speaking of that, Lynn, what sort of reaction did you get from friends, colleagues, family, when I sort of found out what you were doing and, and the staggering weight loss that you had? So I had one parent who said to me, pretty much at the end of the weight loss journey, he said, you know, so many of us have just been watching you and you're just getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And we've known you to be large. And all of a sudden you're not, you know, you're like normal and, and, and you're thin. And, and so I don't know, I guess that really meant a lot to me that people were looking at me and thinking, wow, look at her, you know, and she's doing a great job. My family, I mean, they've watched my, my whole life struggle with this, this, this just like, seems like, I guess, insurmountable thing that nothing would work long-term for. Um, my brother um, picked me up at the airport uh, to see my, when, when flew to see my parents and he picked me up at the airport and he said, wow, he says, you came down the escalator and I didn't even recognize you. I didn't know who you were. And, and then I was like, wow, that's my sister. And so that felt really good. And my, my family has been, my parents, my brothers, they have been just super, super supportive. I mean, that's not to say that there haven't been people who have been sort of like questioning and like, can this be healthy? Is this good for you? Cause there certainly have been, or, or people who have said, I'm glad that you have found this thing that works for you. Maybe it isn't for me, but it's great that it is for you and I'm proud of you. So I really have had really only positive feedback. I haven't had anybody tell me, oh, you shouldn't do this. Yeah. And sort of maybe laugh a bit at the start where you said about when you first found out about intermittent fasting, you, you sort of thought it was a bit cray cray and, I yeah. really, I thought, what sort of nutcases only eat once a day? Who does that? I mean, you know, yeah. I was a, I was a guy that was sort of eating every waking hour of the day, and then when uh, I started reading Jim Stevens' book, "Delay Don't Deny," and the more I sort of read it, the more sort of sense it was making to me. But I, I still had this feeling that I wasn't going to be able to cope with eating only once a day. But once I actually started doing it. And everything become clearer. And then I started finding out about the health benefits and the NSVs we talk about, non-scale victories. Can you just talk about some of the health benefits aside from the weight loss and the NSVs that came your way? Oh, my Lord. Absolutely. So I had been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes not long before um, I started, maybe a year before I started uh, intermittent fasting. I had high blood pressure. Um, I had all kinds of like sort of a musculoskeletal problems. So like knee issues, back issues. Um, you know, I, I'd pretty routinely throw my back out and be stuck in a recliner for a week, barely able to move. Um, I would have, my knees would just be so incredibly sore where I, I would be, really not able to walk much. And I was like, I was 50 at the time, 50 years old. I'm 54 now. And so to be thinking, you know, if I live to be a hundred, I'm only half, half of my life gone and I can't walk. 
right? And so blood, uh, high blood pressure, um, type two diabetes. Um, when I first was diagnosed with type two diabetes, I was like, you know, they, they tell you the thing of, of this is what your plate should look like. And, you know, you should be restricting your carbs. And so, and I did that and I, and I, I mean, I was like scared. And so I, I went on the low carb diet and, and I lost 50 pounds and then it just wasn't for me. It wasn't a sustainable way to live. So I can't, I felt like I wasn't, I guess I wasn't willing to, because it's all about what you're willing to do. Right. So I wasn't willing to eat the kind of things that they were telling me I needed to eat for the rest of my life and not eat the kinds of things that I know that I really love to, to have at least occasionally. Um, and so, um, then, and then I, so I lost 50 pounds and then I immediately gained like 52 or 54 back. And that's kind of the story of my life. So I find intermittent fasting and I, over the course of a year, don't need to take medication for, for diabetes anymore. Don't need to take medication for high blood pressure anymore because I don't have those things. And when I do, you know, labs, all of my lab work comes back better than, better than it's ever been. So I don't have, you know, a cholesterol problem anymore. I don't have, um, a blood sugar problem anymore. I don't, I don't have, I don't have a high blood, a blood pressure problem anymore. I just am healthy and it's fantastic. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So with the diabetes too, it's interesting, Lynn, I actually interviewed uh, a lady called Sarah Cole down in New Zealand and she works in a medical clinic uh, where the GPs are now treating patients with diabetes too with intermittent fasting as their front line defense. And the results they're getting in reversing diabetes down there in New Zealand is amazing. And I really hope that that sort of clinic is a shining light for other clinics. I just wanted to ask you, in your area there in Nevada, what sort of, what's it like with the obesity rates there? So I live in a very rural part of Nevada and, um, I live very near a Native American reservation. Um, and so many of the people on the reservation are overweight, obese, have type two diabetes. And I mean, really in a far more severe effect than me. So like, you know, I'm thinking back to, to um, blood sugar levels that were, you know, 200 and something. And I hear about people who have these incidences where their blood sugar is like 600 or 800 or, or over a thousand and like they're comatose. And I never had those kinds of effects. Like mine wasn't that severe, but definitely obesity and type two diabetes are a real significant issue in the native American population in this area. Yeah. I, I was in America in 2013, Lynn, and um, I went there as quite an obese guy uh, and I got there and I remember traveling through Arizona and Nevada and in the smaller towns, like the little country sort of towns that we passed through, I noticed there was quite a high rate of people that were overweight and obese. And was that because it's easier to 
buy the cheap sort of takeaway food and that sort of thing, do you think? It's interesting because where we live, you know, there you can't you can't really go get takeaway food. You know, you have to be I mean, you would have to drive 65 miles for takeout. Yep. So, I mean, and obviously nobody would deliver to you. Um so so that's an interesting concept um for for, for me personally. Um I mean I think I think maybe we just learned to cook because obviously you have to learn to cook if you live in a place where you can't get takeaway, right? And um so maybe we learned to cook what was available, what was cheap, what was inexpensive, I guess. Um a lot of the reservations have available to them um, food that is provided through government um, government subsidies, I guess. And so, if if you are in a lower socioeconomic bracket, you might not have the ability to purchase food that would be fresh vegetable kind of things. It would be things that would be canned and definitely carb heavy. Um, for me personally, that was not true. But for the Native American population, for many people, that is true. Yeah, what I noticed there was how big the serves were um, on food, like when you order the meal. And here in Australia, you'd order a meal and they'd bring it out and it'd be sort of average, you know, and, and then when we got to America, it was almost like double the size, the actual serves and like the soft drink sizes of the glasses and that seemed to be like two or three times as big and the, the milkshake containers were huge. And I was thinking it must be, I don't know why that is or whether it's just cheaper or what it is, but it just seemed to serves in America just seemed to be massive. Do, do you find that? Absolutely. My, my daughter lives in uh, the UK and I visit her and my grandson every summer and absolutely the serving sizes in England are completely different than they are in the United States um, among many other, you know, cultural kinds of things, but definitely food servings are completely different in the United States. Yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it? But Lynn, one of the things I wanted to ask you um, back at the start there was with weighing, what's your take on the scales? Did you weigh much initially or do you weigh now? Oh, I was completely almost addicted to the scale at the beginning and like, you know, every day. Um, always weighed right before the end of my fast. Um, usually, and, and I'm, I'm a fairly big exercise fiend. So I've fasted all day. I've done my fasted exercise. Then I weigh, then I open my window. That was sort of my procedure. Now, um, I don't know, like, I, I, I don't feel this obsessive need to weigh. And so if I do, it's, it's fine. And if I don't, that's okay too. And <laughs> And it, it's about what I, I mean, I, I can pretty much tell like, oh, gee, my clothes are getting kind of tight. I don't know. Tight clothing can be like one of those things you have to be careful with because to me, that can be more than 10 pounds and more than 10 pounds is like, that's a lot at, at my weight to have to lose. So 
I don't want to gain 10 pounds. So I don't want to have tight clothes, but it is definitely um, one of those signs where you go, Ooh, that my, my clothes are kind of tight. Maybe I should be take, be being more careful. So I do tend to like maybe pay more attention to clothing, but even like, I, I pretty much know, okay, I've been away all weekend. I may have like had more alcohol to drink than I normally do. Um, I may have had longer windows. I already know that when I get home, you know, I'm going to have that uh, water weight gain. Um, I tend to hold on to liquid um, when I'm, when I'm traveling in my feet and my legs. So no, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not really addicted to the scale anymore. I, I sometimes I feel like I should be, but like should be more careful about it, but it seems to be working for me. So it's okay. Yeah. My sort of take is Lynn, <clears throat> I weigh quite regularly and I have done right from the start. And here in Australia and New Zealand, we don't need to put our weight on our licenses or for insurance purposes or anything like that. And so for about 20 years, I never really knew what I weighed. I, I never used to weigh at all. And um, I never got sick and I hardly ever went to a doctor's surgery. So I didn't need to be weighed. And I got the shock of my life um, back in 2017 when I saw what my top weight was. I nearly died. And I sort of feel if I'd have had scales that sort of could have weighed me, would have gone up to that weight. And if I'd have done it more regularly, I may not have got as obese as what I did. And the other thing for me now is, and I agree with you, sometimes when you get up, if you do let it slip away from you, when you get that 5, 10, 15 pound gain, that can be tough to rein back in. So I really keep an eye on things and um, I'm not obsessed about it. And like you, I know that if I have a weekend where I have a couple of beers or a few carbs or something, my weight's going to be up. And every Monday, Lynn, I get phone calls from people freaking out and they say, oh, my God, I've put on five pounds. I have to fast 50 hours. And I say, <laughs> I say, look, you don't have to fast 50 hours. You just have to go back to doing what you're doing. You gained a bit of water weight over the weekend. You can't gain five pounds overnight. It's not possible. True. And um, so with uh, extended fasting and ADF and things like that, was that something you ever got involved in? Um, really, during the weight loss phase not at all no adfs no i mean i i think there might have been one time my husband was gone i didn't need to cook and i was like well i'll just fast through till tomorrow so i already had a 48 and then i was and then he was still gone the next night and i thought well i'm not hungry so why would i eat if i'm not hungry so I went ahead and did the second night. So I ended up with a 70, almost 72 hour fast. And it wasn't something I sort of planned to do. It just sort of happened. And mainly it happened because I wasn't hungry. And I thought, well, if I'm not hungry, why would I eat? And, um, and then at the end of the 72, I was really not all that hungry then either. And I, I really feel like that's something I've learned is that the vast majority of the time, when it's when I when I break my fast, I'm not really all that hungry. And so it feels great to have conquered the hunger monster. Like not that I never get hungry, but most of the time, the hunger monster is not part of my world. So 
I, and I've done a little bit with ADF. So like I might do, and really I shouldn't say ADF, I should say five, two. So like two uh, longer fasts a week. And, and I, and I, I don't know, maybe I just don't really get it yet, but I'm not, I'm not sold on that. That's the right thing for me. I feel like, like OMAD is kind of my groove. Yeah. I'm pretty much the same, Lynn. I've done 23 and one in the weight loss phase uh, from day one for 15 months until I lost the 60 kilos or 130 odd pounds. And then when I moved into the maintenance phase, I changed to a, uh, 22 and 2 Monday to Friday while I was working and then on the weekends I did a 16 and 8 which I do now uh, only because I wanted to open up a bit of social time with my wife and be able to go and have a lovely brunch with her on the weekends and it seems to be working really well for me um, I don't feel like I need to do the extended fast like I get why people do them and, and how it can break a plateau and speaking of which did you have many weight plateaus or stalls on your journey? Um, hmm. There were some. I think, I, I, as I've mentioned, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a, an exercise fiend. I, I enjoy exercise. I find exercise to be a very mm, diverting thing. So, in other words, if I am bored then if I go exercise, that's time I'm not sitting there thinking, ooh, what will I eat later when it's time? And oh, gee, I really wish it was time to eat. And oh, I have three more hours until it's time to eat. And oh, gosh, now it's two hours and 47 minutes until I can eat. Instead, if I just go and ride my bicycle or go for a run or go for a walk, then my time is, I feel like it's better used. So plateaus, not... I mean, I had some plateaus, but most of the time, if I really looked at my weekly, you know, average, like Jen always talks about, look at the weekly, weekly average and sort of discounting times in which you're going to typically eat more like holidays, vacations, things like that. Really? I mean, I, I don't really, I guess I had a, a pretty long, the last five pounds to goal weight where it took for months, it took months and months to get that off. But as I look back, I kind of think, well, maybe, you know, those last five pounds, I mean, I managed to get there eventually, but it really wasn't for me. I don't think that's really likely my true maintenance weight. Not if I want to have the kind of eating patterns that I, I enjoy. Yeah. So we'll move into the exercise now. And I know that's something I really enjoy when I see you post pictures and of your adventures on your bike and the beautiful scenery that you have there. It's just amazing. So tell us something about your exercise regime and particularly your bike that you have. I'm very intrigued into what that actually is all about. So I ride a bicycle that is a stand up bicycle. It does not have a seat on it. It's called an elliptigo. The and you, and you can find out more about it at the website elliptigo.com. And they are available world pretty much worldwide. I know that I have friends who live in Australia, for example, who have elliptigos and in New Zealand as well um, and throughout the world. Um, so it's not just an American thing. Um, so I had decided 
before I ever found IF and before I ever started like actually losing weight, I had decided that I should try to find some kind of exercise that I really liked, that I really enjoyed. And I really wanted, deep down, I really wanted to be a runner so much. I so much wanted to be a runner. And, but I also knew that at my weight, my joints just couldn't take it. My brother rode a bike and I, and I really wanted, I thought, well, maybe I can ride a bike too, but I was also like, oh my gosh, that seat just hurts my behind so much. So I was Googling for world's most comfortable bike seat. And what I found instead was a bicycle without a seat. And it's just been this like love affair since 2014. And um, I found the bike in 2012, but I couldn't afford it because they are fairly spendy. And then in 2013, when my, my grandson was born, we were in Austin, Texas, and I was able to rent one for the day and I was absolutely hooked. And then I'm a teacher, so I had to save for a year. And then it, and in 2014 is when I bought the first one. And then, um, then in 20, 2016, I bought a different one. In 2017, I bought another one. 2018, yeah, right. That whole, that whole addictive sort of thing. And um, so there are different models. And so long story short, let's see. Um, so I love to ride the bike. I love the fact that I'm standing up while doing it. My behind never hurts. And I've done a hundred mile century ride. Um, and I've done a number of metric centuries. So a hundred kilometers on them. Um, many that are 40, 50 miles, um, lots of hill riding. Uh, so lots of climbing on them. Um, it's a fantastic kind of exercise, just like very full of cardio, great muscle building, can't say enough about it. The, the group of people that are involved with, we have a, an amazing community of people who are involved with uh, elliptical cycling and they're all just like super supportive to people like me who've had this weight loss journey. So I'm not like, I'm not the only one who's had this return to health from riding an elliptical bicycle. So when you say you just, it's got no seats, so you're just standing up. So are you just pedaling all the time or, or how does it actually work? It must be like an immense link, leg strength thing. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like, uh, like a regular, like a regular bicycle, you can coast, right? You can glide. So you don't have to be pedaling the whole time, but obviously like if you're going uphill and you're not pedaling, you're slowing down. Or if you're, coasting across a flat surface you're slowing down so it'd be just like riding a regular bike if you get tired and you stop pedaling you slow down and then you start pedaling again um if you're going downhill you can be coasting um or gliding um and and so i mean it's it's, it's exactly like riding a regular sit-down bicycle in terms of pedal 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 okay coast for a while and then start pedaling again. And it's just very enjoyable. Wow. Is that main exercise that you do, Lynn? Or do you do anything else like weights or, or walking or anything? Um, I do walk, hike. Um, 
if I want to, I can run two or three, like jog two or three miles. Um, I remember I started by saying I really, really, really wanted to be a, a runner, but I knew that I couldn't with the, you know, the weight and how it impacted my joints and things. Um, so now I can, I can run if I want to two or three miles. And how, so, how freeing is that? Like I remember the first time when, when I got all the weight off and I was walking one day and I just felt so amazing. I just felt so full of energy and I actually just burst out into a run and I describe it like the scene from Forrest Gump when he starts running and the, the calipers break off. And I kept running and I thought, wow, I can actually run. And I was amazed and I just kept running. And then after that, I started jogging a bit and I mainly walk and swim now and I do a bit of rowing on a rowing machine. But my theory about exercise was when I was really obese, it was tough going because you it was such a drag trying to go down and get the weight off and I'd give up and it was just too hard. And then my theory was, okay, I'm going to concentrate on the food. I'm going to get this weight off. And then when I get the weight off, I'll worry about exercise then. And that's pretty much what I did. And then I sort of started loving it and it become almost like a, a you addiction to me. In fact, it is my you addiction exercise and I just absolutely love it. I think people who have never been obese, they don't understand the pain and agony that happens with exercise when you are overweight or obese. So like that's, it's a really, really, really hard work. And ev not only is it hard work cardiovascularly, but it's hard work on your joints and your muscles. And then, and then you, as the weight starts to come off and things start to get easier, it's like this, exactly as you mentioned, it's like this freeing thing. Like now I can, I can go ride 50 miles and on my bicycle and, and I mean, you know, I'm tired at the end, but that would have been an impossibility when I was, when I weighed 250 pounds, There's no, I, I could not physically have done it. But I think, so you have all these, I was active even when I was overweight and obese. So I developed all these muscles. I mean, if you think about carrying around 250 pounds, think of the muscle structure you have to have to be able to do that. So then when you lose a bunch of weight, you still have this amazing muscle structure that carries you around and you're like, Wow, you're like this this beast, you know? I don't know. Yeah, that's quite amazing, Lynn. And so you mentioned there in your bio that you had a big competition coming up. I do. Tell us yes. about that. I am going to be riding in the Elliptico World Championships. Wow. Which maybe is a, a little, you know, I mean – Elliptico is not a huge sport, right? But you do have to qualify. So in order to qualify to be in this event, I had to ride 50 miles in under four hours on, on the Elliptico, which is not the same as 50 hours, or excuse me, 50 miles in under four hours on a bicycle because there's a lot more um, resistance, wind resistance, um, body resistance when you stand up as opposed to when you're sitting down and sort of hunched over on a bicycle. So I had to do that in uh, 50 miles in less than four hours. I did 50 miles in three hours and 29 minutes. Um, 
And so the event is to ride up Mount Palomar in California, USA, which is um, it's an, uh, about a 12 mile event. And during that 12 miles, you gain almost 5,000 feet of, of elevation. And so I have done it before more than once. And so I'm certain I'll make it. It's a matter of, can I beat the time I did it in last time? So it's exciting. Wow, that's fantastic. So we might have a world champion in our midst, Lynn. Woo Wouldn't that be exciting? I mean, what a comeback story that would be, you know? And so um, the, 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 the person who is the CEO of Elliptigo has said, uh, people have asked him, what is your favorite world championships memory? And he has said, it's Lynn Houston coming up to the finish line on Mount Palomar. So it's like kind of a cool moment for me to know that the person who invented this bike, like knows, not only do they know who I am, but like, I'm part of their favorite memory of the, the, the main event of a lift to go for the year. That is very cool. So this is what I say to people. Um, intermittent fasting is not all about weight loss, Lynn. It's about all these other things that it brings us, the health benefits you described, the freeing moments, the dream of you riding the Elliptico World Championships. I mean, it just keeps on giving as far as I'm concerned. And do you feel like that, that intermittent fasting is so much more than just weight loss? Absolutely. One of the biggest things for me has been the confidence that I've gained. So like, I always felt like I was a decent pretty good, better than, better than just okay teacher. As an example, I felt like I was a good friend to people. I felt like I was um, a good person, like that I had good qualities, but I also felt like nobody knew that. And it wasn't true. Like, I think people did know that now in retrospect, but there's this confidence that comes with when you remove this overwhelming constant thing of I'm just a fat body that exists in the world, you remove that. And then all of a sudden you have this, Oh, I'm a person. I have a personality. Like I knew I had, I was a person and I knew I had a personality, but I didn't think other people knew that about me. And I just always felt like there was a, this, this constant thought of, well, that's fat Lynn, as opposed to that's just Lynn. And, and again, it's not that people actually thought that about me. It's that I thought that's what they thought. And, and so as intermittent fasting has allowed me to become, I don't know, I feel like I'm normal. And so weight is not this constant barrier to all the things I want to do, to all the things I want to be to the person that I am. And as that has happened, I've, I, this, the confidence that has happened of, yeah, I am, I am, a, I am a good teacher and I am a good friend and I am a good person. And I am all these things that I always thought. And now, and now I know everybody knows that about me and they always did maybe, but now I know that they know. And that's, yeah. it's different than it was. That's so great, Lynn, and I feel like that too. And I know how much intermittent fasting has um, proved my self-confidence, uh, my self-esteem. And really, it taught me 
to love myself first. And when I talk about loving myself, it's not an egotistical thing. It's a thing where you start valuing who you are and how you think about yourself. And you replace all those negative thoughts about, you know, you used to get down on yourself and tear yourself up. When I was obese, I used to be really self-critical of myself and I'd be so guilty about what I was doing with my addictive behavior. But intermittent fasting corrected all that. And it really taught my, taught me to love myself and think about more positively the way I thought about everything. And once I started doing that, Lynn, it really lit a fuse in me, not only to stay the course with what I was doing with intermittent fasting, but as a person as well, as a father, as a husband, as a colleague, everything changed. Just the way I spoke to people and, and it just started resonating with everybody and I really came out of my shell and I just had that sort of swagger, if you like, and it's just overwhelming. I I can't agree more with, I mean, I, I, everything you said is completely true with me too. Yeah, it's great. So Lynn, let's talk about for a minute, the science of intermittent fasting. And I know you're a teacher. How important is the science of intermittent fasting to you? It's interesting. Um, like, so initially when my friend told me about intermittent fasting and, and I was, and I was like, what? So now we're going to like starve ourselves. And she's like, wait, 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 just listen to me. And then, you know, so I did. And I was like, okay, well, let's try it. And then quite a number of months later, I read Jen's book. So that's when the science happened for me. And I wasn't a clean faster. So like totally, you know, underline that and put that in bold and italics and all the things. I was putting creamer in my coffee. I was drinking diet Pepsi. Um, And so that was like persisting through the first probably six months of my dirty fasting IF practice. And so then when I read Jen's book and I was like, ah, dang it, you know, dang it. Like now I understand all this. And now, now I realize that I have to do this. And so I did. And I mean, I I can't say that I was like super hungry a lot of the time, but it did make that fast. Um, so that it was almost effortless and it still is today. Like I talked earlier in our interview about how the end of the fasting period happens. And most of the time I'm not really that hungry. And so, and I, I really believe that's because of the clean fast. So the science behind it is important to me in terms of that. The science behind it is even more important to me when I'm sharing with other people because they have that same sort of like mm, resistance that I had to it. Like, oh, this is just starving yourself. And it's like, no, really, you don't understand. You haven't seen me during my eating period when I'm putting down the food. Like I, I probably eat more than you do in that. And I'm not like, you know, binging or anything, but I'm making sure I get my, the food that I need to fuel my body during that time. And I'm not denying myself. I'm not starving myself, honest, really, for real. So that science becomes important to me when I'm explaining to other people 
how it works. Yeah, and I usually find there's three different groups of people, Lynn. There's those that just want the bare bones. There's those that just want the bare bones and a little bit more. And then there's those that want every single piece of science and every research paper there is known to mankind. My own take about the science is I'm not a real big science type of guy. I tend to find I'm an experiment of one. And I feel like I'm the lab rat in all this. And I sort of just, I know intermittent fasting works because I've lived the journey. And I mean, when I wrote my book, I sort of left most of the science out because I felt like I'm not a scientist and I didn't want to parrot other people's work. I put links in there to, to some great papers like the New England Journal of Medicine and certainly to Jen Stevens' work. And Jen is just amazing. And I know her Facebook groups have been so important in my journey. And I just wanted to talk to you a bit about that. How much have Facebook groups and support networks helped you? I would say that I didn't have the support groups, the Facebook groups for the first six months. Um, and it was just my friend, my colleague and I, and the two of us. And, and we were, were a little bit competitive with each other. And so that was really helpful. Like we had little competitions with uh, getting, getting how many steps a day or other kinds of exercise and not competitions about how much weight we had lost or anything like that, but just like being active and staying true to the program and just being really supportive to each other. So the two of us had that support group together. And then later, I think it was like, maybe five or six months later and she found the Facebook group with Jen and uh and Jen's book and and for a matter of months after that that was super helpful and super important now I mostly stay in the groups and things because I feel like I can be a person who at least periodically I don't have a ton of time but where I can periodically sort of chime in and say Hey, you know, it really does work and it works long-term because here I am down the road three or four years and, and I'm still hanging in there and, yeah. and it, it's easy. That's important too. And for me, it's about staying plugged in. And I wrote about this for, even though I've lost all the weight and I've maintained it and I've got it down pat and I know how to do this now, I still feel like I need to be plugged into my tribe, if you like, um, people that get it. And when you're sort of in with like-minded people like yourself and the other people in the group, and Lynn was talking about there the Facebook group, Delay Don't Deny, uh, which was founded by Jen Stevens, who's the author of Delay Don't Deny, the book, but also her new book is called Fast Feast Repeat, uh, in which Jen made the New York Times bestseller list. And I had Jen on the podcast a few weeks ago, and I said to her, What's it like knowing that you've changed so many people's lives? I can't imagine waking up every day. And I, I, what she did sort of resonated with me. And now I feel almost a compulsion to help other people. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. That's why I wrote the book. And that's why I spend a lot of time helping people in my circle. I mean, I probably have about 40 or 50 people now that I help with intermittent fasting. And that's sort of just growing over the time. And they're generally just people that have seen me and they've said, what have you been doing? And 
Um, I have a few farmers that follow me. I work in agricultural research, and some of those guys that look phenomenal. And one of them reversed his diabetes, and it nearly made me cry when he told me that. And he said, you know, I would never have known about this if you didn't tell me about it. And I, I really feel your um, passion to share is there. But, Lynn, we're going to wrap it up in a minute. But I really wanted to ask you, you're very experienced. What's your advice for people who may be struggling, who are just getting off track a bit, and also for people out there that may want to look at uh, intermittent fasting, what's some final words of motivation from you for them? So consistency. And I, I don't know how to like say, like find the groove to be consistent. That for me has been and continues to be the secret. So I feel like I need to be true to intermittent fasting pretty much every day. And, and the great thing is I feel better when I do that. I feel better emotionally. I feel better physically. Um, I know that my weight stays at a, at a constant, pretty much constant level, my clothes fit. So consistency and it's worth delay, delay, don't deny that was the magic phrase. So I'm not saying I can't, I can't have this thing. I'm just saying I'm going to wait for a matter of hours until I can have it. Like I can wait a matter of hours for almost anything. So I want a cookie. Okay, fine. Well, you can have it later and be consistent with that. I will wait until it's time for me to have that. It was for me, it was the magic bullet delay don't deny. So I'm not denying myself anything. I'm just waiting for a little while. And even like my kids, my students will bring me, you know, little treats for their birthday. And I'll say, and they know they're like, Miss Lynn, you can put it, you can put it in a napkin and take it home and have it later. They know I'm not going to eat it when they gave, gave it to me. Um, but they know I will have it later. And the next day I'll say, Oh my gosh, I had your cupcake. It was delicious. Thank you. And they understand. So if little kids can understand that, Certainly, I can understand the whole concept of I'm just waiting a few hours. No big deal. Be consistent. Yeah, that's amazing advice, Lynn. And you certainly are a shining light for this lifestyle. And I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been to talk to you today. And thank you so much for joining me on the Fasting Highway. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a great time. Thanks, Lynn. And we'll talk to you later. All right. Okay, bye. bye, -bye. Oh, thank you so much, Lynn. I so enjoyed that chat with you and I find you such an inspiration. And the fact that you lost that weight and then you maintained it and now you're going off to the World Elliptico Cycling Championships with your beloved bike, I think that's just such a testament to your dedication, mindset and your mental strength that you've found to do that training to get to where you are and become an elite athlete. I think that's just incredible. So this coming Sunday, we've got Bet Lucas with us, and Bet's a highly respected member of the fasting community and a true inspiration, mum of five kids, soon to be six, full-time career person, and she has a real passion for intermittent fasting and life in general. So until then, be well, be safe, and remember, 
Clean fasting is everlasting.